Uh, Moses did write two other songs in the Bible. Exodus 15, right after the uh, Israelites passed through the Red Sea and God drowned the Egyptian army. And Moses wrote a song about the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And then if you're interested, there's another song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. And uh, those are two other places where we know he penned uh, some psalms. We know that Moses is responsible for the first five books of our Bible. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy called the Pentateuch, the first five books accredited to Moses. Mosaic authorship is what we have. And you'll notice at the top of Psalm 90, it says a prayer of Moses, and you'll notice it says book four uh, in many of your Bibles because there are separations, and we, we did this when we did an introduction into the Psalms. They're actually separated in various books, and this is a transition from one book to another within the book of Psalms, so just a little bit about the heading. If you're new to us, I typically preach from the New American Standard Bible, so if you're wondering what version I use. That's what I use. So if you have an option, if you open up a device, I'm using the New American Standard uh, translation. And uh, I wanted to just pay, pay a little bit of attention to the heading of this psalm as we've been doing just for a moment. I want you to see it's a prayer of Moses. It interests me to know how Moses prayed. There's a verse within the Pentateuch that says Moses was the most humble man who was on the earth. So Moses was a humble man. I want to know how Moses prayed. I want to know how, to, how a man that became this kind of leader prayed. How did he pray? What was his prayer life like? What was the content? And notice he is called the man of God. Now with that thought in mind, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to just show you, Paul is writing to young Timothy. He is a protege, an up-and-coming pastor in need of encouragement. It would seem that Timothy had some timidity issues and uh, maybe uh, the timidity caused stomach problems. And uh, I want to remind you that the heroes of our Bible, even those who are prominent in Old and New Testament, were still human, had stomach issues, maybe had insomnia, maybe had bouts of depression and that kind of thing. They were not perfect, as you know. So you qualify, by the way, with all of your uh, idiosyncrasies and whatever your latest excuse is. Would you pray with me, Father? <laughs> with that in mind, thank you so much for your word. We want to be people who are ready to hear from you, and I just pray that you would speak. I know you're going to speak because this is your word. Help me get out of your way and just let us have ears to hear what your spirit would say to your people at this present hour for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, and he says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue, a man or a woman of God flees certain things and pursues certain things. I'm here because Moses is called the man of God. What does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be a woman of God? Well, you flee certain things. And those certain things are listed, for example, in verse 9. Wanting to get rich, falling into various temptations and snares. Foolish and harmful desires that plunge men, 1 Timothy 6, 9, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, if money becomes your God, is a root of all sorts of evil. Money is just a means of exchange. But if you love money more than you love God, then money is your God. And Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon or money. So 
1 Timothy 6 makes it clear that there's things to avoid. And in fact, he says some people, some who were apparently professing believers, who, who were longing after this kind of God with a small g, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or griefs or many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God or woman of God, and pursue rather righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, but those are things to pursue. If you were wondering, what do I pursue as a Christian? Well, here it is, righteousness, godliness, which means God-likeness, to be more like Jesus, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, fight, the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life, to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Amen? I put in my notes. Timothy was not to be a man of greed, but rather a man of God. Greediness is focused on you, self, on me. Godliness is focused on God. Greediness, whatever form it takes, and there's such a thing as sexual greed. There's there's greed for, you know, satisfaction, the latest sensation that I got to get for me right now. And then there's godliness. And godliness is the opposite of greediness. When you serve God, you put others and God before yourself. Moses was the man of God. How would your friends describe you? He's a man of fill in the blank. He's a man of business. He's a sportsman. She can shop till you drop. <laughs> Whatever. I always struggle with, I don't know what I should say, ladies, but sorry. Anyway. All of the Old Testament uses of this phrase, man of God, of whom only Timothy is called this in the New Testament, though there were others, represent individuals, listen, who represented God by proclaiming his word. What made a man of God was the message that he or she proclaimed consistently, and not just in proclamation, but in life. Amen? So would someone describe you or me as that person is a man of God? I know he's imperfect. I know she falls short. But they love the Lord. They serve the Lord. All scripture, if you turn back to Psalm 90, is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 for your notes. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? Well, you can get there, and you know what? It doesn't happen overnight, but it is about your priorities. It is about what you're pursuing. It is about, ultimately, who you serve and what defines you. What first defines a man is who or what he belongs to. That's what defines you, what drives you. At the end of the day, when you look back and say, this is what I did and this is what I didn't do today, I did what I did because this is who I am. I didn't do certain things because this is who I am. That's when your faith is actually coming into action. That's when you're actually putting feet to your faith. And I hope that's what we all want. 
to be a man or a woman of God. Psalm 90 opens, Lord, that's not the uh, YHWH, that's not the uh, name of God there, Yahweh, as we would say it, but that's Adonai. That's the alternative that the Jews used because they felt that the name of God was too holy to speak. So sometimes they would call simply, they would call God the name. And that's the Hebrew word Shem, S-H-E-M. They would just simply say the name. Or they would call him Lord because they didn't want to say Yahweh. I've pointed out several times in these studies that whenever you see all caps for Lord, that's Y-H-W-H in our English. Whenever you see Lord in lowercase, that's Adonai. Or there's a shortened form called Adon. Adonai is A-D-O-N-A-Y. And Adon is A-D-O-N. So get this, in the uh, Hebrew picture language, what Moses would have written at the beginning, symbols, Adonai or Adon is simply defined as whoever you make the first judge. Adonai, Adonai is the first judge. Whoever you make your first judge is your Lord. Let me explain. If you say Jesus is my Lord, then you pass by him and his word things that you are measuring, directions you are going to move, who you are going to date and get serious with, moral beauty as it's defined, your worldview, etc. If Jesus is your Lord, then he's the first judge. Everybody with me? You run it by him first, not 10th on the list. Oh, I wonder what the Lord would think about this. I've asked everybody else. Or... You know what? All my other plans have failed. Gulp, maybe I'll pray as a last-ditch effort. No. If Jesus is your Adonai, you run it by him first. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. So I like the opening. Moses is called the man of God, a man or a woman of God, defined by who they serve, who they belong to. Lord, Thou has been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, Psalm 90 is a lament psalm, but it's also a wisdom psalm. And it's going to end with some promising news, but it's a bit of a bummer in the middle. Okay? Just so you know. So you can fasten your seatbelt a little bit. Because the drive of the psalm is rooted in the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And what Moses experienced as the leader of Israel coming out of Egypt and wandering in the desert for 40 years. And as the VeggieTales song puts it, we didn't have a lot of fun in the desert. And you know why? There's one reason that they wandered and wandered and wandered, and that whole generation, save Joshua and Caleb, that first generation that came out 20 and above, died. 1 Corinthians 10 says they were laid low in the wilderness. You know what the single reason was? Yell it out if you know. It was unbelief. They simply wouldn't believe God. They wouldn't believe in him. And 
We often hear people say, if I would have saw all the miracles, the plagues that happened in Egypt and the pillar, you know, the fire cloud and the pillar by day and the fire cloud by night, I certainly, and the blast of God's nostril opening up the Red Sea and drowning the Egyptian army, oh, I would have followed, would you? There's only two men that followed the Lord fully, Joshua and Caleb. And I heard something said earlier that really resonated with me. Do you want to be like everybody else? You want to be like just all the other nominal Christians? Is that who you want to be? Their pack is a great number. And you can join it if you want to. Or do you want to be a man or a woman of God? Now, here's where it starts. Uh, it starts with this idea, NIV, Lord... Verse one, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The Lord is our dwelling place. And this idea of a dwelling place is a refuge. It's a place of protection, sustenance, and stability. The Lord is our dwelling place. The Lord is our home. Think about this. The setting of Psalm 90 is the wilderness wanderings. And what they didn't have is permanent homes. They had to set up tents everywhere. They always were moving. They would set up camp and they would move. Set up camp and they would move. Wander, wander, circle, circle, wander. And life was very temporal. And Moses experienced that as a sojourner, if you will. But he said, Lord, you are our home. You are our dwelling place in all generations. The idea of a dwelling place is somewhere where you set up shop. It's somewhere where you abide in John 15, Jesus gave a whole message on abiding, which means to remain close to the Lord. If you look at the very next psalm and the very first verse, you'll see this idea. He who dwells, if you make a decision to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and Moses may have written this psalm too, we don't know, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If you go all the way down to verse 9, it says, For you have made the Lord my refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. You have to decide to abide. You have to decide to make the Lord your refuge, your dwelling place. Amen? Amen. Someone else is preaching. That's okay. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you decide to make the Lord your dwelling place? Well, you got to make a move. You got to decide what is home to you where you want to shelter, where you want to remain anchored. And it's a decision we make, spiritually speaking, we've got to abide. And this is not about a location as much as it is about a person. So if I'm going to abide in the shelter of the Most High, I have to stay close. It's okay. <laughs> I have to stay close to Him. We were talking in the prayer meeting earlier about heaven and what will all be ahead for us. You know, the, there's talk about the millennial reign and there's all millennialism and premillennialism, postmillennialism, and all these millennialisms. But in the end, heaven is where God is. And Jesus said, Stay close to me. I love the little, the picture of the little sheep staying close to the shepherd. And there's some wolves off in the distance, and they're like, Arr. and that little sheep is just snuggled up against the Lord and smiling. Yep, <laughs> I'm staying close to my shepherd. And so there was impermanence in the wilderness, but God is a dwelling place. 
He's where you can find your safety as you sojourn through this world. And this world is a rough place at times. Uh, you know, it, there's, there's things that seem permanent and then they are not permanent and they seem dependable and then maybe they're not dependable. But you are our dwelling place. Why don't we all start here? Why don't we decide that we're going to abide? Let's start in the eternal. Let's start with things that we can trust and know, and then we can move out from there. Moses said in Deuteronomy 33, 26, 27, the eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath us are the everlasting arms. He drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. The eternal God, Deuteronomy 33, 27, is a dwelling place, and underneath us are his everlasting arms. Isn't that good? He can hold you up. He will be your shelter. He will be your strength. You don't have to fight this battle alone. And that's when we get exalted, exhausted and, um, you know, I think we, we get really weary when we try to do it on our own. You must walk in to, a, to the dwelling and stay. <laughs> walk in and stay. You know, sometimes when people have been away from church for a long time, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years, and they say, oh, man, I haven't been to church for a long, long time. It was 19. Uh, I just don't know how to get back. <laughs> I usually say, it's only one step, brother, <laughs> sister. Just walk back in the door. But lightning may strike if I walk in the door. <laughs> Well, just text us right before you come and we'll all back off. And, you know, if it happens, then. <laughs> Moses defines who God is by saying in verse 2, before the mountains were born. Because we might be saying, well, how, how do I know I can trust God? Or maybe something like this. How do I know that God will be there to be my safety net? Well, Moses says, before the mountains were born, mountains had a beginning, or thou didst give birth to the earth, God's the creator, and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Isn't that awesome? God is eternal. He has always been there, and he ain't going anywhere. Amen? And Jesus Christ is described as eternal in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I picture John the Apostle just leaning on his chest, having a sense of who he was. Man, I'd want to spend a lot of time. I'd have so many questions, Right? But the Lord tabernacled among us. And this one who tabernacled among us is creator. You could render John 1.1, before the beginning began was the word. Because he was there before all things were created. Therefore he is, Jesus is the creator. And he made everything, including you and me. The mountains had a time that they were born. Whether you think of, you know, the tallest mountain in the world or a local mountain, 
Moses would have been very familiar with a specific mountain named Sinai. It was originally called Horeb, a desolate place we learned on Sunday in the book of Exodus. But an alternative name of the mountain was Sinai, and that's where Moses went up to meet God. But there were times when mountains were not, and oceans were not, and fish were not, and humans were not, and God was. See, God, when he created everything, that's when time began. 2 Timothy 1.9 says God uh, existed before time began. I know that that can stretch our mind, but God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, there was never a time when he was not God. And an ancient heresy that was uh, pushed by a man named Arius of Alexandria, he claimed that Jesus was the first and greatest creation of God, This teaching was picked up by Charles Taze Russell, who founded Jehovah's Witnesses. And Arius, back, he was uh, actually excommunicated from the church in 325 AD, so a long time ago. He taught that there was a time when the sun was not and had to be created. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus is eternal God. He was there before the beginning began. In fact, he is the beginner. All things were made through him and by him, and without him, John goes on to say in that first chapter, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life is, that, uh, life is the light of men. So this is a comforting reality that God is eternal. He's always been there. He, this is part of his nature, And even when there was only chaos, there was nothing here, he was there. And he made all things. He made the mountains and the seas. I think scientists have it up to, well, I think, if I recall correctly, something like 19 million forms of plants and animals, species. Uh, An amazing array of diversity and complexity in the world. Just look at plant life, look at insect life, look at, you know, sea life. It it is amazing what God created. And then look at human beings. Just think about your circulatory system. Look, think about your eyes. Think about the fact that you can assimilate food. You get cut and your body heals. That's not evolution, folks. That's the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the ultimate chemist. The ultimate designer made you, and he made you in his image. And the Bible says that we are to remember our creator, Ecclesiastes 12.1, in the days of our youth, before the evil days come. Then, Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, we're going to get into some of the hard things that Moses dealt with in the wilderness in this psalm, and it's the brevity of life. And here's what it says. Thou, God, does turn back, turn man back into dust and does say, return, O children of men. Uh, an unfortunate part of pastoral ministry is dealing with death. And, uh, you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of different situations, not that I necessarily wanted to, but walking families through the grief of losing a loved one. And uh, in our modern times, and I, I'm not going to get into the debate about cremation and burial right now, but 
People have had loved ones cremated, and sometimes people will spread the ashes of a loved one uh, somewhere to honor their wishes or what have you. And it's amazing to me to think about a person who may have been with us a week before, and now their parts, if you will, are down to a bag of dust. And if you've ever been part of a ceremony like this, if it's a little bit windy, you throw the ashes as best you can, and the wind pushes them away, or people have wished to have their ashes spread on a mountain or you know, the ocean or whatever. But to look at that, to, to look at a person's being, body, going back to that. Genesis 3.19 says that you will go back to the dust because of the curse. We die because of sin and the curse. And man goes back to the dust. Moses led probably over a million people out of Egypt. And then they, you know, remember they were multiplying rapidly. And then, of course, they would have had children in that 40-year period of time. And since only two entered into the promised land who were 20 and above, how many funerals do you think Moses presided over? He lived 120 years. He was with the people that last 40 years of the three 40s of his life, you know, 40 years in Egypt, 40 in Midian, and then 40 leading them out and then being in the desert. That last 40 years, Moses saw a lot of miracles but dealt with a lot of sorrow. He buried a lot of friends. And some of you have experienced that, you know, just in your lifetime where you've lost some friends, young and old, and it's hard. And the Bible tells us why this happens. We die because the wages of our sin is death. And, you know, when we do a memorial service or a funeral, we try to articulate that, not because we're trying to beat people up, but we're just trying to share the truth of why we die so people can run to the remedy. <laughs> Amen? And the remedy is Jesus Christ who died in our place to take the wrath of God. And so he goes on, he says, a thousand years, for a thousand years, he's speaking to God now, in thy sight are like yesterday, or you could say like one day, when it passes, or as a watch in the night. I think Jesus came walking on the sea, if I recall correctly, in the fourth watch of the night when the morning hours were the darkest, you know, sometime in the early a.m. hours. And the night was split up into either three or four parts. And we know that in 2 Peter 3, 8, Peter says, as the Lord is concerned, beloved, one day is as a thousand years, 2 Peter 3, 8, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. He's not wishing that any perish, but what? All come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. This is why the second coming hasn't happened yet. That's the context of 2 Peter 3, because he wants as many people as possible to come into the boat, <laughs> amen, to be saved. And so he is, if we can put it in our way of thinking, he's put off the coming for a while. A thousand years, that's a long time. Uh, Adam lived 930 years. That's a long lifetime. A thousand years. Now, a lot of us in this room, we have a lot of memories right now, and we have chapters that have gone by, and we're like, can you imagine? You know, if somebody makes it to a hundred, we're like, wow, look at, whoa. But 
to God a thousand years with all the memories of mornings and evenings and in-betweens, to him, they're like nothing. They're a drop in the bucket. Why? Because he's eternal. He's not bound by time. And there's going to be a time when we won't be impacted by time the way we are right now. Again, in the prayer meeting, we were talking a little bit about heaven and stuff. And uh, depending on how old you are, time becomes your enemy. Can I get a witness? <laughs> a lot of us are trying to slow down time. Slow it down. When you're young, you're trying to speed it up. I just want to be 10. I just have to be 12. I got to be 16. 18. Can't wait. I can vote. Oh, don't worry about that. And then 21. 21. And then 25, and then, whoa, <laughs> slow her down. Something happens around 25. The chemical makeup of the body <laughs> begins to shift. There's this, I enjoy watching stand-up comedy, and there's this comedian, he's up there, and he's a retired police officer. And he's calling out this young kid in the audience, and he goes, hey, how old are you? And this guy's like in his 50s. Retired police officer, he's got a flashlight up on the stage. How old are you? 17, 17. What do you know about life, 17? And he's grilling this kid, as comedians sometimes will do. And he goes, do you know when you become a man, 17? He goes, no. He goes, do you know what a prostate is? <laughs> when you know where your prostate is, that's when you become a man. All the men in the room who are at a certain age, We'll say amen, but we won't go there. Life <laughs> it moves by quickly. We, we're not getting a thousand years. Most of us aren't getting to a hundred. I did an internet search before this sermon. I was going to do people, celebrities who died in the last six months. Forget about that. I just did 2021. I just looked at essentially the last 30 days of celebrities who have passed away. And I'm, I don't have the list right before me, but some of you remember the TV show Saved by the Bell. Uh, I can't remember. He, his character was Screech. And he's dead at 44 of cancer. Another young Asian actress, uh, and I'm doing this from the top of my head, I think she's no more than 28. She's gone. There's people that died in their 90s. Uh, Hank Aaron, I think, was in his 80s. Tommy Lasorda, I think, was 93. <clears throat> but if you ever want to just be smacked back to reality, because we forget, just do famous people that died in the last 30 days. And you, you have forgotten a lot of people who have passed away. Cloris Leachman is gone. There's a lot of other names. And these are just famous people that we know of because they were on TV or movies. I'm not talking about the rest of the planet. I'm not talking about everything that's happened around the world that we don't even know about. That has swept them away like a flood. The image here, and again, this is kind of the bummer section of the psalm, but it seems like somebody's here and it's like they fell in floodwaters and it swept them away. Have you ever seen video of that or experienced something like that? It's scary, right? Someone could fall into a rushing river and if they can't grab onto something or get rescued, they get swept away. That's the image of death. 
They fall asleep. That's another metaphor for the body dying. In the morning, here's another metaphor. They're like grass, which sprouts anew. My grass does really well in the spring. You get spring rains, and typically you don't have to do a whole lot to your grass, and poof, the grass goes, right? And where are those kids to mow the lawn? You're mowing the lawn every week. Right now, grass ain't looking so good. And mankind's compared to grass. You sprout one moment, and the next moment, you're gone. In the morning, it flourishes, it sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. This is 1 Peter 1, 24, 25. It says, all flesh, mankind is like grass. All its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. You can also write down Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. It's the same idea. We pass away. For we've been consumed, Psalm 90, verse 7, by thine anger. Remember, wilderness wandering is the direct context. And by thy wrath, we have been dismayed or terrified, literally, confounded by terror. Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. Many times when you read through the wilderness wanderings, and we're supposed to learn from them according to 1 Corinthians 10, what we see is the people whined, complained, said, is God with us or not? We need water. We need this. We, we're tired of the manna. We don't want that manna. You can only do so many things with the manna. Manicotti. Whatever. <laughs> How many nights can you have manicotti? And they whined and complained, and God did some radical plagues and fiery serpents and people died and it was ugly and there there's a scene in the book of numbers where they want they're selling tickets to go back to Egypt and they're ready to stone their leader Moses and the glory of the Lord appears and God says Moses come into my office loose translation stand back I'm going to destroy them all and I'll start over with you and Moses intercedes, oh, Lord, no, what will the Egyptians say? You brought the people out, and then you destroyed them all in the desert. No, don't do it. Now, God wasn't going to do it. He was using Moses as an intercessor, but can you imagine being God? You show these people all these incredible signs. You provide manna for them every day, and what do they do? They whine. They complain, and, and God got angry. It says, all our days have declined in thy fury, nine, and we have finished our years like a sigh. <sighs> you ever come to the end of the day, that's all you got? <sighs> How was your day, honey? <sighs> Sometimes that's all you can deliver, right? As for the days of our life, which became a TV show. I'm just kidding. Anyway, verse 10. They contain 70 years, or if due, due to strength, 80 years. These are typical lifespans of people today and back in Moses' day. People did live longer. Moses uh, lived to 120, but this is kind of the typical age when you know, life is winding down. 
If, if due strength 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, and soon it is gone, and the Bible using the image of a bird now says, and we fly away. And that old song, you know, that many of us enjoy, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. You guys know it? Oh, that was weak. <laughs> anyway, but you were just following the lead of me, so I understand. The, the idea of being gone is to cut off or to be driven away or to fly away like a bird that escapes your sight. Uh, I'm a golfer. I don't know why. Because it is a very humbling... It, it's a sport when you think about it. You're on a tee box... 400 and something yards away from your destination and the hole is like that big and you're supposed to do it typically in four hits. Who thought of this game? Somebody who's Scottish. <laughs> That's all I really know. But anyway, but I play the game and we were playing recently around and a lot of balls were going out of bounds and one of the playing partners kept saying, she gone, <laughs> she gone. And usually when a ball is heading toward a neighborhood, I start praying, oh, Lord, don't, don't let it break anything. Oh, Lord, don't let it kill anybody. Oh, Lord. Because, <laughs> you know, those things are moving at a pretty fast pace. Oh, Lord. <laughs> if it's my kid hit it or I hit it, I especially pray hard. Like a double amen. Oh, Lord, don't amen, amen. In Jesus' name, don't let it break. <laughs> she gone. She gone. She gone. <laughs> And that's how life is. James says here today, it's gone tomorrow. Now I told you the middle section is a bummer section and it's true. Who understands the power of your anger, 11, and your fury according to the fear that is due thee? Does, how many people truly understand what's happening here, Moses might say? How many people truly understand why people are dying? Well, it's the circle of life, and uh, no, it's not. We are under a curse. We're living in the land of Narnia. Always winter, never Christmas, to use the image of C.S. Lewis. And it makes us ask some deep questions. I watch people ask deep questions at memorial services and times when they lose loved ones, but then we just kind of move on like, well, you know, that's that person or that's them over there. And what do we do in a world such as this where the death rate is quite impressive? One out of every one of us is gonna deal with our mortality unless the Lord comes in our lifetime. But this mortal will put on immortality. You see, death will be swallowed up by life because of the gospel. Amen? Do you believe it? Death is going to die one day. 1 Corinthians 15. There is a resurrection unto life. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ became a curse for us that we might live. 
And somebody might say, well, yes, I understand the gospel, but what do I do now? What do I do on a Tuesday or a Wednesday when I'm facing life and you know, this crazy world in which we live and the worries and the things that can bombard my soul? Moses says it. So, in light of what we just read, that middle hard section, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present, Psalm 90, verse 12, to thee a heart of wisdom. Teach me. Would you make this personal? Teach me to number my days. Brethren, how many days have we wasted on worries that we can't change anyway, on things that we have allowed to consume us and we have let precious things pass us by. Moses says no more. In light of the brevity of life, in, in light of the fact that I'm going to maybe get 80 years or 90 or 100 or, you know, Moses got 120 and didn't go into the promised land, I'm not going to waste them. In fact, my, my mortality is going to uh, make me present to God a heart of wisdom. I have a little sign in my office given by a wonderful brother who goes here. Richard Baxter said, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men, close quote. And I read that regularly before I come out here. You know why? Because I don't know if I'm gonna get to do this again. And I'm not gonna preach like I'll get to do it again. If I get to do it again, thank God. But I'm not gonna do it like, well, I, I got next Sunday, I got next Wednesday. I don't know if I got that. I may, I may not. So Lord, teach me, make it your own, to number my days Help me to love the people that you've put into my life like I don't have tomorrow. And don't let me just say the words, Lord. Let me do it. Too many of us know the verses, but we don't know how to live them and we're not living them. Help me to love my wife like I don't know I have tomorrow. Help me to have the joy of the Lord like I don't know I have tomorrow. Help me to witness to that person like I don't know if they or I have tomorrow. Are you with me? This is wisdom. It's not walking around with a death complex. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about understanding your mortality so you live for what really matters. I'm not talking about that you don't have Sabbath and relaxation and fun. That's not the point here. The point is the overarching theme of your life. Make the most of your time, Ephesians 5.16, because the days are evil. NIV, Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, the moving from verse 12, which probably is the key verse of the psalm we are on the back end now, and it's a prayer for restoration in light of verse 12. And Moses prays, and I, I, I just suggested that it, it's interesting to think about Moses being a man of God. How did he pray? And he said, 13, do return, O Lord. How long will it be? Be sorry for your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. I don't want to stay stuck sighing. I want to find the joy of the Lord because I know where I'm headed and I'm in the new covenant 
And to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And I have the Holy Spirit within me and I have a peace from Christ that surpasses understanding. So would you give me gladness in the morning, Lord? Don't, I don't want to be a bummer Christian. I don't want to be you know, downcast all the time. I want to live in the light of your promises. Satisfy me 14 in the morning with your loving kindness. How are you going to find God's loving kindness unless you seek him as your shelter? If the first thing that you do is go to a device or something else and you don't get to your Bible and you don't get to prayer, how are you going to experience his loving kindness in the morning? You're not. So you've got to get into a routine where you say, and it, look, it doesn't have to be complicated. Lord, I, I belong to you. Satisfy me in the morning with your hesed, with your loving kindness, with your love that's better than life itself. Oh, Lord, open your hand, Psalm 145, 16, and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Verse 18, Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. I wrote a book on the armor of God, and I said, it's a good habit to get out of bed and get on your knees first thing. Why not? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts first thing. Because if you don't do it first thing, you're probably going to get distracted. We make time for what's important to us. Amen? If we're going to do that workout, you got serious about working out, you make time for it. And the Lord says, come, find me as your shelter. Make us glad, 15, according to the days thou has afflicted us. Man, we've had issues. The years that we've seen evil, but make us glad. Teach us what you're trying to teach us, Lord. Let your work appear to your servants and thy majesty to their children. Show us what you've been teaching us. Grant us wisdom to understand James 1.5, what you've been saying in the times of affliction so we can learn and present to you a heart of wisdom. And finally, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. I think this is simply saying, Lord, please rest upon us by your grace and show us that what we're doing really matters. Let us do your work. At the end of the day, that's what I really want to know. Lord, have I done your work? Have I been the man that you've called me to be? Some days are you know, less easy to connect the dots, but there's other days when we can just simply rejoice. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, New King James. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The sum of his gracious acts in their harmony. Let that be illustrated in our lives, O oh Lord. Father, thank you for Psalm 90, and we are humbled and grateful that the Bible is so raw and real to our situation and to the things, the biggest questions about life itself, who we serve, our worldview, why we do what we do, what makes us get up in the morning and pursue anything, what our dwelling place is, who we call Lord, what our prayers look like. Lord, all of these things are really within the psalm, and this was about a people who wandered even though they were the apple of God's eye because they just simply wouldn't trust God. 
And forgive us for our unbelief, Lord. Forgive us for the times that we have simply not trusted you. Though you've done many miracles in our lives, we can easily forget. Lord, would you reveal your beauty once again to that saint that is hurting and maybe dry? Would you confirm the work of your hands? Show them, remind them of who you are and how much you love them and how you've called them to yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us a verse like teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. We've read verses about presenting our bodies, but we need to present a heart of wisdom to you. Lord, here's my heart. Make me wise. Make me wise in how I live today because that's what I got is today. So make me wise. Lord, would you restore the joy back to hearts tonight? Those who are here, those who may be watching or will watch this later. And if you've not met the one who is the joy of our salvation, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who had the oil of gladness above his companions, Jesus. See, he's the deliverer. He came to save you. He died in your place. He lived the perfect life that we all fall short of. He took God's wrath at the cross. He rose to defeat death. He is our shelter our hope, our life. If you've not met him, just cry out to him. There's no perfect prayer, but something like this, Jesus, would you save me? I'm sorry for the years that I've spent away from you. I've had other gods and other lords, and I'm gonna forsake those and ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. Teach me to follow you to present to you a heart of wisdom in the way I live. Thank you for your grace when I fall short. But help me, Lord, teach me to follow you. If you're a backslidden saint and maybe you just needed a a nudge from the Spirit to say, man, you need to get back in the game and start living your life with a heart of wisdom. Lord, would you help us all with that? We could all do a little better with that. And then, Father, just for this beautiful group of saints here, thank you for them, for their faithfulness, their hunger to know you. Uh, We're just humbled to be able to worship you tonight. We lay everything at your feet for your glory. In Christ's name.